Good morning, church people in the lobby. Come on in. We're going to get started. Sometimes the kids sound like they're having way more fun than us, so it's tempting to want to drift over there. And they throw out candy, so maybe if I threw out candy and made you yell. Um, hey, so uh, I, uh, just a, a little side note for the announcements. If you're a guest or visiting or just checking out our church, tonight is like the perfect time to come and get to know some people. Uh, rub some shoulders, let your kids run around, eat some food, uh, put some boxes together. Uh, so uh, if you're new around here, this is a perfect time to come tonight. It's going to be a great, great time. Uh, we've been in this series for a number of weeks, actually a few months now, where we're going through the book of Philippians. Some of you are absolutely tired of Philippians. You'd like to move on to a different book. Uh, it's coming. We have this week and next week, and then we're done, so you're okay. Some of you have loved it and have been learning a lot and applying a lot, and you can continue to do so. Keep reading the book of Philippians over and over and over. We've been looking at this book uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, looking at what is it that Paul saw in the church of Philippi? What is it that he was teaching the church of Philippi? And, and what were they learning? And then how do we grab onto those things? And we apply that not just to our church in general, but to our own lives. How do we apply the things that by the Holy Spirit, God spoke to Paul and he was able to pen these words to instruct and to teach us. So that's what we've been doing uh, and we'll continue to do so as we get ready uh, to wrap things up. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, uh, we have on our app, we have a Bible app uh, built in, embedded into our app, so you can open up the Bible. There's also discussion questions, so if you open up our app and click on take a note, there's a fill in the blank section uh, for the message, but there's also a place for you to fill in your own notes as well, built into the app. If you're using one of our Bibles in the seats, I believe it's on page 832 or 833. We're in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be starting at verse 10. I'll read this uh, first as we get started. One of the, one of the messages uh, that runs throughout all the verses and chapters of Philippians is this idea of joy and, and rejoicing and being joy-filled and joyful and, and living in joy. And so uh, we get that again to kick off our morning. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. We're going to unpack that last verse, verse 13, here in a little bit. But the, our passage this morning is bringing up this idea that is actually very difficult for us in today's culture. And that is the idea of contentment. It's not easy. It's very elusive. We can rejoice in God. We can come to church. We can sing the songs. We can enjoy a family get-together at Thanksgiving. And yet, when the moment ends and we're faced with the stresses of our lives, contentment seems to be hard to grasp. 
And so that's why Paul throws this in there, not because of something that they're doing wrong. He's training them for how they move forward and how they move forward as followers of Jesus and how they move forward as a church is to live in this world of contentment. For me, I find contentment at times to be elusive as well. For starters, I cannot be content with just eating one Girl Scout cookie. Anyone else that you want to admit it? The Lord's watching. Thin mints. I, I, not only can I eat one thin mint, I can eat a roll of thin mints, sometimes two. Nonstop. Binge watching. You know, binge watching is new because it wasn't too long ago that if a show ended at 7.30, it started at 7 and ended at 7.30, you had to wait a week to find out what happened next. And everyone would talk about it, etc. And when a show would end, when its season would end, you had to wait an entire summer for the fall to come back to find out who shot J.R. Ewing. That's what you had to do. You had to wait. Now, my contentment is this. Sandy and I, Mondays are, are, are my off day, and it's our Monday fun day. It's just the kids are gone at school. It's just Sandy and I day. So we go hiking, we go out to lunch, we binge watch, and we will watch a show. And as that show comes to a conclusion, neither of us say, well, what should we do now? <laughs> we grab the remote and the, show, the next show that's highlighted, we hit the select button and we continue watching. And we watch until we're really not that intrigued anymore and we can actually wait a day to see what happens next. But we binge watch. Some of you only know the world of binge watching. I have an interesting infatuation with ice cream. I'm not content with having a little bowl. In fact, if you serve me a little bowl, I'll have to keep going back for more. So ice cream is something that I have an addiction to. I also have a, a weird infatuation with mowing the lawn and snow blowing. Okay, please don't judge. I love to mow the lawn. Some of you hate it. I understand that. But I love to mow the lawn. I love the smell. I love the process. I love seeing something happen right before my eyes. And I love the finished product. I love seeing it done. In fact, we live on the end of a double cul-de-sac right next to a green belt. And very frequently, I will mow some of the green belt that I don't have to, the city does. But I enjoy it, so I do it. In fact, last week, last Sunday, in fact, I went home, changed my clothes, got my lawnmower, and wheeled it down the hill, across the sidewalk, down another hill, across the creek, and up the hill to the open space, and I began to mow. <laughs> now, I didn't just mow for the sake of mowing. It's our sledding hill, and so I decided I would actually create the, the, the city's best sled area, and so I manicured it by like a, a, a 25 foot wide by like a 100 foot run, so it's incredible, but there were several parents that walked by and looked at me very odd. They, they didn't look at me like they were jealous of what I was doing. They probably wondered, why is a normal citizen mowing the open space? But I enjoy mowing, so it wasn't a problem to me. I also love snow blowing. 
So I am not content with just snowblowing my driveway or my surrounding sidewalk. We're on a cul-de-sac, so I will snowblow not just our driveway and the front area. I'll go around the entire loop and snowblow the entire sidewalk and often many of my neighbors just because I like seeing the snow fly, and so I'll do that. Last year, I wasn't content with that, so I snow, snow, I snow blued, I snow blew, I used a snowblower on our cul-de-sac, and I did our whole street just for fun. And so I don't know what you're not content with. You might walk away from this morning going, that is one weird dude, okay? But I bet if you were to share what you're not content with, that I might think the same thing. We're all not content with something. What about our culture? We are at the highest rate of consumer debt than our world has ever seen. We are not content. Hey, I only have this much in my checking account. I'm not content with that because I have this thing that's called credit card. Now, debt and credit is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. Credit and debt has been around since the beginning of time. But there's many of you in this room, you can still remember life without a credit card, but you can remember life at a credit on at a store. You would go to Montgomery Wards and you would have something that you would put on hold and you would have it on credit. And today we are living in a society that has this little plastic rectangle in our wallet. And so we're not content with the money we have, but the card provides a different level of security. Our high rate of mobility. We are changing jobs and moving more rapidly than ever in the world's history. Going from one company to the next, one profession to the next, moving from house to apartment to next car, to next computer, to next phone, over and over and over. If you come to my house, one of the things, uh, you just learn in all my quirks, I love to rearrange furniture. That's just what I do. I enjoy seeing something different than what it was before. So I'll rearrange a bedroom, I'll rearrange a family room, I'll rearrange the kitchen on where the utensils go, just because it's fun. So that's what I do, mobility. I'm a sinner. Okay, next, we are living in the highest rate of divorce than our world has ever seen. Not because of sufficient reasons, uh, abuse, et cetera, things that are gone on that are, are valid reasons to get out of a marriage, but we are living at a rate in which people go, we just don't like each other anymore. We don't like, well, we don't love each other anymore. How about we just part ways? Is that cool with you? Is that cool with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll just part ways. And, and it's an increasingly rate of, I'm not content. I'm just not content with you anymore. So let's just end this marriage. We're obsessed and not content with the rights we have. In fact, if you watch the news, everything's about rights. My right to do this, my right to own this, my right to do that, and it's always getting worked up over our rights. We're suing each other at an astonishing rate. You can sue for anything in today's times. You may not win, but you can literally go to the courts and you can place a lawsuit for anything, and we're doing it at an astonishing rate. We spend money on things that we cannot afford, like the lottery, hoping to win the big jackpot because the money I have isn't enough. This idea of contentment is hard. And I want to make one thing clear. There's definitely an arm of contentment that needs to be done in an area where I'm not certified. I am not a licensed therapist. 
I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I can't do those things. I can give counsel, but I am not a licensed therapist. What I have and what I know well is Jesus and the Bible. And I can give you that. However, I do want to make sure you do know where my heart comes from is in regards to contentment, I do think at times there is a place for counsel, for counseling, for therapy in order to work through why is your heart so discontent in everything in life. So I do know that. I want to make sure we're clear on that. There's an Indian proverb that says this, a harvest of peace grows from the seeds of contentment. Peace grows from contentment. And I think, you would, I think you would agree with this. If you look at our world, we live at a time when, irregardless of age, we are very discontent. Our cars aren't fast enough. Our internet's not fast enough. Our phones aren't strong enough. Nothing's enough. And yet this Indian proverb says, a harvest of peace grows from the seeds of contentment. Socrates said, he is richest who is content with the least, for contentment is the wealth of nature. Contentment is something, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to wrap our minds around it. Because one of the greatest works of the enemy is to create in your heart discontentment. An unsettled heart. A heart that's not at peace. The enemy wins when you aren't content. And that's hard for us. Because I'm very well aware that for a lot of us, you're going to end here, you're going to grab another cup of coffee, you'll have a little bit of a conversation, you're going to get in your car, and as you drive away, the very things that create discontentment in your heart are going to begin to flood your mind. Or, or at best, maybe tomorrow, maybe today you have peace. But nevertheless, it's coming. So what does contentment mean? There are a lot of different definitions for contentment. In fact, you can go on Webster's Dictionary. You can search the internet. You can write your own. I've written my own. Here's how I feel as a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's what I believe contentment means. Contentment is an internal consciousness of rest or peace that comes from reconciliation with God and knowing that he governs all that happens to us. The way I view contentment for the follower of Christ is that you have had reconciliation with the Father, that is, your relationship has been mended, and that you rest and have peace knowing that everything in life that happens to or around you is governed by God. Well, Brian, does that mean that God made all those bad things happen? No, but he's governing it. Does that mean the shooting that happened a couple weeks ago in Sutherland, Texas at the Baptist Church, that God was involved in that, that he directed that, that he gave that order? No, but he's governing in the midst of that. He's present. Is that difficult to wrap our minds around at times? To be sure. It's hard to understand evil. We have a limited amount of brain power to wrap our minds around that. And yet, peace and rest 
comes from being reconciled with God. So no matter what happens to us, or no matter what has been said to us, we have an unchanging oath given to us by God that he will not leave us. And better, more than that he won't leave us, he's for you. God is actually for you. And, the, and, and trust me, I get it. It's hard to wrap our minds around that when something bad is happening in life. When you have sorrow, when you have loss, when you have sadness, when you have depression, when you have something yanked from you, it's hard to understand that not only will God never leave me, he's actually for me. But it's truth. And so, how, so that's what contentment is. How do we obtain it? And not only how do we obtain it, but how do we sustain it? Those are the two things we're going to work through this morning. Paul's words show us this. The secret for contentment is to focus on the Lord as the sovereign and the sufficient one. One of the ways that we wrap our minds around and live out contentment is this constant realization and practice that the God who we know and that knows us, he is the sovereign one and he's the sufficient one. This is in your fill-in-the-blank notes. He is the sovereign one to whom we must submit to. He is the sovereign one to whom we must kneel before as the song that Alex and the team led us in that we bow before. He is the sufficient one to whom we trust, to whom we place our trust. And what Paul says is if we know God in these ways, not just as God, God created heavens and the earth. Okay, I'm not talking about knowing of God, the things of God. I'm talking about knowing God the ways that Paul did. Paul knew God as the sovereign one and as the sufficient one. So that's what we're going to look at. The secret for contentment is to focus on the Lord as the sovereign one to whom we must submit to. That's number one. No matter what took place, Paul knew that God was in control. No matter what happened in his life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, God knew his needs. And God would supply or not supply as he saw fit. This is one of the difficulties that we have in, in being followers of Jesus. When he supplies for our needs, it's easy to say, oh God, you're so good. I submit to you. Praise Jesus. When he doesn't supply our needs, that's when it's hard. When we pray for a son or a daughter as the people prayed for in Sutherland, Please keep my kids safe as they go to school, as they go to church, whatever. And then those kids don't come home. Do you still submit to him? God, would you take care of my finances? I'm not going to have enough for my bills at the end of the month. And then a check comes in the mail just out of nowhere and it allows you to pay your bills. And you're like, oh my gosh, God is so good. He takes care of all my needs. Well, what happens when that doesn't happen? Do you still submit to him? Is he still the sovereign one? 
And Paul was subject to the sovereignty of God. And if you study Paul, here's one of the habits that Paul had. Paul had a habit of not sharing his very practical earthly needs with those around him. He kept it to himself. He shared it with the Father, but he would not share it with other people. Some of you grew up that way. You grew up with, hey, your struggles, your concerns, your your sadness, just keep it to yourself, deal with that, but you can share surfacy stuff with other people. What we've realized in today's times, that actually hurts people. But Paul had a very healthy way of doing this. He didn't share his financial needs and they were many with other people. Paul's in prison and so he cannot participate in his side business, which was what? Tent making. He can't participate in making tents. He can't go make any more money. And yet the bills are piling up, piling up, piling up, piling up. That's exactly what is happening, happening for Paul. And, and verse 14 actually describes the way he is feeling. The word is troubles, but the, the original word is actually pressure. Now, think of pressure like this. If you've ever gone up in an airplane and your ears refuse to pop and you feel that pain, or, or worse yet, if you have a really horrific sinus infection and it just feels like your head is going to explode from the pressure, that is how Paul describes his, quote, troubles, is this pressure, this so uncomfortable feeling that he has regarding finances and other things. But he doesn't share that with the other people. What he does is during his time, he writes several letters to churches and to individuals during his time. He writes Ephesians. He writes Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. And in those letters, instead of saying, hey, any chance you guys have 100 bucks? Any chance you could run to Safeway for me and pick up some groceries? He doesn't do that. Instead, he writes to these churches and he says, would you pray for me? Will you please pray for me? Paul has such an understanding of the sovereign one who he submits to that he knows if he asks for a greater calling, if Paul asks for boldness and faithfulness to his witness in what God has called him to do, that God will take care of all the other things. He says, God, I, I need you to give me boldness and I need you to give me faith and I need you to give me courage to do what you have called me to do. That's what I'm gonna focus on. And as I do that, you are the sovereign one who I submit to, so I know you are gonna provide all these other things. You're gonna take care of my imprisonment. You're gonna take care of my food. You're gonna take care of my money situation. You're gonna take care of all those things, but my attention is gonna be focused on what you have called me to do. And what we do as today followers of Christ often is we flip it. God, I need a job. I need money. I need you to protect my kids. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. Please do this. Please do this. Now, am I saying those, th those requests bringing to God are bad? No, not at all. Where it becomes unhealthy is when those dominate 
you more than asking for the courage and the strength and the boldness and the ability to do what God has called you to do. Are you guys with me on that? So it's flipping it. It's turning it upside down. I will focus and ask you for the help to do what you've called me to do, and I'm going to submit to you that you'll take care of all my needs. And sometimes God supplied abundantly. And so Paul had to learn what it was like to live with prosperity. Sometimes we have to do that. You might not feel like it, but if you're here today and you're listening online, you are some of the most prosperous people ever to walk the planet Earth. Again, you might not feel like it. You go, well, <laughs> me, come look at my house. You'll, you'll see different. I'll open my refrigerator, open my cupboard. I'm telling you right now, if you're here at Rock Creek Church and you're listening to us online, you are some of the most prosperous people ever to step foot on planet Earth. But sometimes God withheld support. And so Paul had to learn how to get, how to get along with very little. And at those times, he didn't panic, he didn't grumble, he didn't throw a fit, he didn't stress out, he didn't run around, he didn't walk away from God, he didn't try and handle things on his own, but he submitted to the sovereign hand of God, trusting that God knew what was best for him. God knew what was best for all of his needs, and sometimes it did not make sense to Paul, but he submitted to the sovereignty of his God. And the result was contentment, a peaceful heart, a settled heart. And you know in this room when your heart is settled and when it's not. I don't have to explain that to you. You know when your heart has peace and when it doesn't. And Paul says one of the absolute number one steps in obtaining that is to submit to the sovereignty of God. And sadly, many fail to experience this on a day-to-day -day basis. They might hear about it in church. They might see it in someone else. And they might hear a testimony and go, wow, that's so awesome. But they have failed to experience the peace and that contentment for themselves personally, moment by moment, day by day. Oswald Chambers, we quote him quite a bit. He's a theologian and author and former pastor from a long, long time ago. And he writes this, true surrender will always go beyond our natural devotion. It'll go beyond what seems normal to us, what, what seems natural. If we will only give up, God will surrender himself to embrace all those around us and will meet their needs, which were created by our surrender. Beware of stopping anywhere short of total surrender to God. Most of us have only a vision of what it really means, but have never truly experienced it. Here's a sad truth about church. There are a lot of people who sit in church every Sunday. They participate in Bible studies. They participate in the life of the church. They hear the scriptural and theological truths about God. They hear the scriptures described and proclaimed in a very authentic and high integrity means. And yet, there is no life transformation because the things that are given here are not applied out there. Namely, the peace of God. 
that transcends all understanding. You see, God's love for us goes beyond a baby born in a manger, which we'll talk about next month, and a man who dies on a cross that we'll talk about on Easter. It goes beyond that. Those things are the means to which you obtain and live with peace in your heart, irregardless of what happens to you. And we can be honest in this room, right? Bad things happen to us. Sad things happen to us. Things that hurt our heart and we don't understand and we're frustrated or we're angry about. That happens. That's okay for us to wrap our minds around. But listen, if you're walking with God and you find yourself in a difficult or a desperate situation, you need to know you're not there by chance. You didn't just happen upon this circumstance. It might be a small crisis, something that we might consider kind of cursory or, or, or intermediate as far as a crisis is, is concerned, or maybe it's a life-threatening major crisis that is happening in your life. But the call of God is, and through Scripture is to submit to the sovereignty of God, and you will know the contentment that comes from Him. That's number one. Number two... The secret to finding contentment is to know God is the sufficient one to whom we must trust. Paul says that he, quote, learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. That's in verse 12. And that secret that he describes is this. And this is the literal rendering, not probably in your scriptures, but the literal Greek rendering is, I can do all things in him who continually infuses me with his strength. This is by far and away, one of the top misunderstood, abused, misused, misquoted, misapplied scriptures in all the Bible. I can do all things in him who continually infuses me with strength. The all-sufficient indwelling Christ was Paul's source of strength and contentment. And by all things, Paul means that he can do everything that God has called him to do in his service for his kingdom. I can do everything, God, that you have called me to do in service to your kingdom. I can do anything. You've called me to do it, I can do it. And here's what tends to happen, is we take this verse and we apply it to whatever is difficult that's facing us. I'm going to run a race. I'm going to play a football game. I'm gonna, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, you can't. Students who are about to take an AP biology test and you didn't study. Oh, God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, you can't. You're going to fail. <laughs> Don't put that on God. You're in the midst of a divorce. You've caused it. You're fighting for it. You're, you're the cause of everything. You go, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God brought this other woman into my life. No, he didn't, you liar. 
Don't be stupid. If you think that you can just apply verse 13 to anything that comes in your life, you're stupid. That's not why the verse is there. That's not the point. The point is, I can do all things through Christ, in Christ, by the power of Christ, to which you have called me in my service to your kingdom. I can do anything. Yes. You go, well, I'm going I'm to go pick up a car out in the parking lot because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, you can't. Chris might be able to. But you can't. I, I certainly can't. Do not keep misapplying the scriptures that God puts in the Bible. You can't do all things. You can do all things that God has called you to. But you can't do all things. You say, well, I, I, I want to go. I think going on a missions field is kind of exciting. So I am going to go to the worst place where Christians are being martyred and I'm going to live for him and I'm going to be safe because I can do all things for Christ who strengthens me. No, you can't. And you're stupid if you go there unless he's called you. Well, I'm going to go to work tomorrow and I'm going to round up all my coworkers and I'm going to tell them what the Bible says about sin and that they need Jesus. And I will have favor because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm. Please take video. Because I'd like to watch. Unless God has called you to do it. And then, yes, you can do all things. Do you understand where this is going? It gets abused so much in the church. It's hanging in people's homes. It's, it's hanging in people's bedrooms. It's at people's work. And yet you say, well, what has God called you to do? And they go, what do you mean? Well, you, you said you can do all things through Christ who's strength. What's he called you to do? Well, it's just, I can just live. I, 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 I can, you know, that. It's important to know what Scripture says. It means that if God has called you to get up and to speak in public, he will provide the courage and the strength and the boldness and the ability to be articulate. He will do it because he has called you. If he has called you to serve behind the scenes and never receive any acknowledgement, never to be on stage, never to be the front person, but he has called you to be the behind the scenes servant, then he will provide you the endurance to keep serving. If he has called you to help finance a huge initiative in the church or in, in God's kingdom somewhere in the world, he will provide the finances to do it. Do not go home, and none of you have yet, but don't go home, completely empty your checking and savings account, write a check and give it to Rock Creek Church and go, God will provide. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't be stupid. Don't go empty all your money and just give it to the church. That makes no sense unless God has told you to do it. This has everything to do with you can do anything that God has told you to do. You can't do anything just because it's a good thing. Is that, is that connecting? It is so unbelievably important because if, 
if, if I can do anything that's good, then why go to church? If I can do anything that's of good value, why do I need Jesus or the Bible? Why do I even need to hear from him? Why don't I just go serve the homeless? I don't need Jesus to serve the homeless. I, I just, it's a good thing to do. Why do you need Jesus? Because God tells you what is good. He decides what is good. He decides what we should do with our life. And if he says do it, then you can rest assured that you can do all things. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, this is one of his all, you, everything, every time, all, all craziness. But here's what he says. God is able to make all grace abound to you that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. All that to be said, you can do anything. And God has the power to provide you with what you need to do it. He has limited supply. And contentment is found in that trust. Chris, come on up here. I'm going to ask Chris. Some of you guys know Chris. Some of you don't. Chris McDonald, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we baptized uh, Chris and Rebecca this summer. Chris, Chris and Rebecca gave their life to the Lord. I've been working and discipling with Chris. We've been spending a lot of time. And I've been watching God do some remarkable things in Chris's life. And I asked him a, a, a week or so ago, I'm like, hey, or actually this week, I'm like, hey, can you help me out in uh, the services. He's like, yeah, no sweat. I'm like, I need you at both of those. Yeah, no problem. And he goes, what, what do I need to do? I just, well, I, I just need you to jump off stage. I'm going to catch you. Like, that's, that's all. I don't need you to do anything else. He's like, huh, okay. And so he left it alone. We were up here on Friday, and out of the, we're getting all the Christmas stuff out of the barn and out of the attic. And out of nowhere, he goes, hey, have you ever done this? <laughs> I go, nope. And he goes, should we rehearse this? And I'm like, now we're fine. And Chris is still kind of respectful and reverent to me. To, and you could tell in his eyes, he was like, this isn't wise. But because he appreciates me and respects me, he kept that to himself, probably complained to Rebecca. But I asked him to do that. And uh, what's interesting is, is I'm going to paint this kind of picture, right? So um, Chris is going to go back to this box and he's going to get a running head start. And I'm going to come down here. He's going to jump off the stage and I'm going to catch him. Okay? That's the plan. This is the splash zone. Okay? Might be blood. Might be water. This is the splash zone. Okay? So in the first service... And, and if you haven't noticed, Chris's arms are about the size of my thighs. And he's 240 pounds. But look at this. Really? Okay. And I'm going to ask Chris to run and to jump into my arms like my first love. And I'm not going to drop him. I'm asking him to trust me. I'm asking him to place his trust in me. But then what happens is, here's what happens with, with our relationship with God. God says, I need you to trust me. And we go, do you want to trust me, Chris? I want to. You want to. <laughs> Could you with 100% say, I 100% trust you, Brian? Why? Because you'll drop me. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'll drop you. Yeah. You're pretty sure I'll drop you. Yeah. But you want to trust me. Yeah. 
Does it sound like our relationship with God? I want to trust you, God. I want to believe in you. I want to believe that you have what's best for me and mine. It just doesn't seem like it. Your arms look a little too small. I'm just not sure. I know you love me because you know I love you, bro. You know I care about you. You know I pray for you. You know I'm invested in you guys, but you just don't know if I'm going to catch you. Does it sound like God? We know God loves us. We know he, he has our best interest in mind. You, you, we know that he wants to serve us and care for us, but it's like, God, will you really catch me though? And that's where faith becomes difficult. But here's something special. I'm going to ask Alex and the Pope and Robert and Alan and Ken and Grant. Why don't you guys all come up here? Jamie. I want you guys to line up right here, and I want you to lock arms. I know you're men. Just hold each other's hands. <laughs> you're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Jamie, just look good. <laughs> Second Corinthians tells us God has the ability and access to more than we could ever wrap our minds around that his power is bigger than we could ever imagine. The problem is we don't see this. We just see this. Chris, trust me. Trust me. I love you, but trust me. And we go, ah, are you sure? Look at your arms. (laughs) And what God is saying is, you have no idea what I have access to. I can call another 10 guys in this room and several of you ladies and and you will be fine. I got you. What's available to me as your God is more than you can wrap your minds around. I can help you as a parent. I can take care of your finances. I can take care of your purity. I can take care of you getting a spouse someday and who's next. I can take care of you. You've got to trust me. Because I can do anything. I can move a mountain. I can supply a river. I can part the Red Sea. I can do the unthinkable. Everything, all, all the time, everything, 2 Corinthians says, is available to me at my fingertips. That's what God does. And then he says, trust. And we go, man, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know bow down a little bit. You know, not bow down, but crouch down a little bit. <laughs> bow down, my men. And God says, you just got to trust me. You just got to trust me. Yep. And we go, man, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then we fall back. <laughs> and we're caught. Yep. <laughs> and we're held. You guys are fine. <laughs> We're held by God for another hour. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Come on. Thank you guys. All right, head on down. Here's what's cool about this, friends. You don't know what's available to you. You don't know the warriors that God has appointed to fight for you. 
You don't realize the resources that are at God's fingertips. And he says, you can trust me because you have no idea how big I am. And the correct balance for this passage is this. I do it. I I do the thing. I live life. I I serve. I do what God has put on my heart. I have that difficult conversation. I serve in that ministry. I I go get supplies for the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. I serve at the foster care thing. I have that really hard conversation with that person at work. I do it, but I have constant dependence. Sorry, I'm in your way. I have constant dependence on the power of Christ that indwells in me. This is the secret, friends, that Paul has discovered. This is the secret that he speaks of. I can do anything that he's called me to do because he has unlimited resources. This is why it's so important not to just go rogue on your own. This is why it's so important not just to do what you think is right. Not just to do what you think is good because you don't want to run the risk of going at it alone. You want to go with God. Because if you go with God, if you go with what he has told you to do, if you go with him in submission and trust, you can do all things. You can do anything. And we see that all throughout the scriptures. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, this is Paul's Popeye passage. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. The grace of God with me. Friends, the grace of God is so powerful, is so mighty, is so incredible, we can't even fathom it. And in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The the verb is present tense, meaning it was happening as Paul wrote it. It means it's happening right now with you and with me. It means that day by day, moment by moment, situation by situation, I can do all things because of the indwelling power of God that lives in me. I can do anything. I can get through any situation. I can keep my eyes on him. I can do what he's called me to do because not because I'm a cool person, because I really know my Bible, because I'm super strong and have superhuman arms. No, because you have the indwelling power of Jesus Christ in you. That's why you can do all things. And Paul is saying that because of his relationship and his union with the king of all kings and the all-sufficient knowledge and saving grace of Christ, that he can do whatever the Lord has called him to do. Anything. Anything. So I'll leave you with two last words of wisdom first one is from Dr. Seuss. Just tell yourself, Ducky, you're rather quite lucky. Just tell yourself, follower of Jesus, you can do anything because it's not your strength. It's not your power. It's not your luck. Consider yourself blessed because you are loved by God. And then finally, Paul 
I have learned the secret that this world is desperately searching for. Desperately searching for. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Let's pray together. So God, as we prepare our hearts for worship, would you continue to come beside us and, and explain what it is to have a, a heart that just rejoices in you, that just rests in who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you for your sufficiency. Thank you that it is not about anything else other than you, our King Jesus. And we do, we bow before you and we trust you. In the name of Jesus, would you please stand?